Welcome everyone to the Be Kind Podcast, part of the Animal Advocates of South Central PA's mission to create the most loving and compassionate world possible because we love all creatures, whether they're big, small, wide, skinny, diagonally huge, have high body mass, low body mass, can fly or swim. It's all great and we all love it. And today I am joined by John Beck and Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Hi. (laughs) Yeah, that was terrible intro by my standards even so <laughs> thank you everyone and i'm sorry in advance for all that oh my <laughs> so i hope people at this point know john and i fairly well we're both board members of the animal advocates and we're joined by chelsea who is actually the wife of roxy when we're board members and a great friend of the show who used to help us out the podcast on who we're going to loop back in before she knows it soon so <laughs> chelsea would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do with your time Yes, so I am very excited to be on. I am Chelsea, and like Joe said, I am the wife, see, you know, my official title. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I currently am a stay-at-home mom because I am a teacher, and so I actually had a baby right when quarantine started on, well, in March, sorry, and I was supposed to be on maternity leave until the beginning of this coming school year. But I ended up going back and teaching kind of remotely for the rest of the year. But now that we're on summer, I'm just home with my two kids and trying to enjoy life as much as we can. So I'm going to ask you the very typical, what's your vegan journey? Um, Actually, it's kind of interesting. Roxy first went vegan about three years ago, and it was kind of an overnight decision. I go to bed much earlier than Roxy, and I woke up in the morning and she said, I'm going vegan. And I was like, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And she said that she had been up all night looking up um, diet just because she has a lot of family history of disease, you know, diabetes, that type of thing. And this was the only diet that she found that would 100% guarantee that she wasn't going to go in the line of her family. And I was like, "Go, all right. I mean, go for it. And it took me probably about six months. Till I was like, all right, I think that that's what I'm supposed to be doing too. <laughs> and Roxy very quickly changed from the health stance to more the ethical stance and, you know, being part of animal advocates, obviously. And I told people for the longest time, so whoever's going to cook is. And so since Roxy does the cooking for our family, I kind of just followed with that. And instead of making my own meal, which I was doing for a while, I just ate whatever Roxy made. And then obviously it transformed into my own journey and my own reasons for being vegan and remaining that way. And also our family, you know, with the two kids, well, the one of them is breastfed, so that's vegan. But with Oliver, he's three and a half and he's also vegan because of everything total aside and a question i did not tell i was going to ask one time i had a relative who asked me is breastfeeding vegan and just to get it out there get it, make it official is breastfeeding vegan yes breastfeeding is vegan i'm pretty sure that all mammals make milk for their babies and he is my baby so my milk is his there you go take that relative who shall not be named (laughs) (laughs) but but now that's amazing that you are both supporting each other with that and that that just shows that you have a strong relationship and that's that's fantastic 
that that you were both able to do that like obviously it took you a little bit longer to get to where you are but the fact that you were supportive enough to take that next step is awesome it's it's been a good journey together and Roxy's also gluten-free um just because of an allergy and so it's it just kind of threw another wrench into all of it and it's it's interesting around here at mealtime, but you know, we, we enjoy it. We enjoy new things to make and Roxy really loves to cook. So that's just, it really is a good part of our relationship. I keep saying this basically every episode, but the two things that come up with making people practice veganism is hanging out with awesome vegans and eating awesome vegan food seem to be the two main things that really help make the lifestyle a thing in many people's lives. Right. Yeah. Uh, How long have you been a teacher? I am going into my eighth school year this coming fall. (laughs) And how has your transition to veganism affected your style of teaching or the way you frame content that is in your curriculum with the children? That's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) So there's, there's a few different aspects that go with that. The first thing that I think of always I kind of just avoid some of the conversation and I I guess that that's not great but it's not also my place that the kids all get breakfast and lunch at school and you know they'll ask me questions and I'll just tell them you know I'm vegan I don't eat any animal products and I kind of explain it to them but try to keep it as low judgment as possible obviously because they're kids and they're going to eat the free food that is provided to them. But then also with things like field trips, we went to a dairy farm as one of our field trips. And that was definitely one of the harder experiences for me as the farmer is talking to the kids and telling them all of these things. And, you know, it's, it's half truth because I know, I know better. And I kind of just have to bite my tongue a little bit or, try to be like putting planting seeds you know just I I feel bad that that baby isn't with his mommy you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then also just the nutrition aspect we don't teach the food pyramid but we do have I think it's Penn State Nutrition Links, basically they come to the school and it's a person that comes six or seven times and she talks about each food group and she talks about the importance of it, how the kids can get it. She gives them something to try. And the last time that they came, it was a lot of misinformation. And so that one really was difficult for me just because it's one thing that we have to provide this food from, but it's another to not give them the right information, whether or not it's an opinionated type of thing, just that wasn't right at all. (laughs) So what grades uh, do you teach and what subjects do you teach? So I am a first and second grade teacher. I switch every other year. So this past school year, I taught first grade and I will take that same group of kids to second grade and I will be their second grade teacher as well. And I teach all subjects. So the kids are with me all day besides when they would have, you know, art or music library, that kind of thing. So it's a little little different from when I, because you actually teach at at the elementary school that I went to as a child, I believe. You Ferguson, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I went there when I was a little one. <laughs> and uh yeah, we each teacher taught one subject 
typically. And then, yeah, kind of just went from there, but that's cool that you're like kind of doing multiple things. Is that harder? I would think. I don't think so. I mean, you kind of just, to get into a rhythm of it once they hit third and fourth grade that's when they have a teacher that just just teaches the ela and a <laughs> teacher that just teaches math but for kindergarten it's all subject when you have these children for two years i imagine you build up quite a rapport are there any success stories or at least any germination of the seeds you're planting throughout these conversations in regards to veganism i distinctly remember I'm not even sure what I was teaching, but it transferred into writing and they had to write about a zoo. And this one little boy brought up his writing to me and he was so proud of it. And it talked about how if he ever went to the zoo that he would let the animals out because they look so sad in the cages. And I mean, I hadn't really said anything like that, but I was just like, oh, he gets it. Like these animals, they don't belong there. Like that's not their home. That's Mm -hmm. not the habitat where they're supposed to be. And I just like, I felt so proud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll talk about this for a second. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of the elephant in the room. But what are your thoughts about um, opening back up in the schools for uh, the coming year? What What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's so hard. It's so hard. I guess I just look to when we closed schools back in March and, you know, the number of cases and what our concerns were for the reasons why we closed. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was very unsafe and they wanted to preserve lives, basically, that, you know, we're not going to send students, we're not going to send these teachers. I get that a lot has changed over the last few months. But the coronavirus is still just as serious, if not more, at this point. Right. And talking about sending the kids back and the teachers back, it just doesn't make any sense to me, I guess, that things are worse now, but we're going to send them back. And it's almost the slight of teachers that, you know, you're babysitters. You need to watch these kids because we need to reopen the economy and we need their parents to be able to go to work. And I I can see that part too, mm-hmm. but at what cost? I mean, we just know statistically that a percentage of kids will die, a percentage of yep. adults will die. And I just can't imagine losing a student. Like my number one job is to keep them safe. And yeah. I know that I can't do that. And so there's no way that I could be okay with opening knowing that that's the cost. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I actually work at a at York High as a sound engineer for the symphony that comes in. And that program is a magnet program. So there's kids coming from all over the, you know, the county. And they're coming into the auditorium and they're going to be on that stage. And it's like, they're talking about starting this up again this year. And I'm like, Ugh. like, <laughs> I love my job to oh. death. But it's like, this is not a good idea. <laughs> But right. But it's Ooh. like, but they're trying to come up with a plan that will work, and I, I, I think it will. We're gonna do it in like small sections, but it's still it's like, ugh, you know. But we're we're gonna do everything we can if we do this to do it as safe as possible. But yeah, I, right. I'm totally with you on like I, <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea. It's challenging from just all sorts of perspectives, and I'm going to try and loosely tie us back to veganism and advocacy for a little bit but we're always want to have the best for everyone in our lives whether it's being free from exposure to COVID-19 or having better health 
health outcomes or a more ethical lifestyle because of a vegan diet? And how do we balance looking out for people's best interests with their own autonomy and own wishes and desires and the greater functioning of these huge systems that are just seemingly more and more a house of cards the further we get into this type of thing? And something I'm interested in hearing from both you and John Chelsea is you both went to school or teach in uh, York City, PA, which is a very urban area. And I believe last time I checked, they had a rule at the school district where 100% of the students there qualify for free or reduced lunch, just based off the overall demographics of the community. What kind of issues do you see from a food access perspective in this kind of community with these families and children that may prevent them from practicing this healthier lifestyle? So you're saying food access in terms of all the kids that come to school get free breakfast and free lunch, and if they're not there, how are they getting food? Is that what you're asking? Uh, Part of that, and also just how they get food at home when your only store is the corner store. Do the kids have access to the healthy foods that we keep promoting and saying are so great about veganism? It's really almost disingenuous to promote that to a lot of these families if their only options are the corner store or the Rite Aid down the street. Right, exactly. So in terms of getting food, the elementary school is still providing lunch every day, and they have since the closure. So Monday through Friday, families can go and they can pick up their lunch. And I believe it also includes a breakfast for the next morning. Um, And then we also, when we were open, we were part of a food bag program. And I honestly don't know who that was through. I think it was a local church that kids that did have food insecurity were able to take a bag of basically canned and shelf-stable food that they would take home for the weekend. And that was supposed to hold them over. And they're also still providing that. And I did look into the bags before, just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And honestly, most of the stuff in there was vegan because oh, okay. that's what shelf-stable. It was right. rice. It was noodles. It was beans. Nice. Lentils were in there. Cereals. That type of thing. That was a plus. That was a surprise for me that <laughs> so they, they like, would get that. <laughs> right. So it's kind of like accidentally vegan things that were in there. Exactly. Nice. Yeah. Just because that's that's what they that's what they had. Right. And then in terms of other foods, I really I don't know. You know, I haven't really talked to the families about that, and some families aren't as open about talking about that type of thing. <laughs> that right. makes sense. I think just taking the holistic approach to things and really looking at the families and children where they are in their lives and what their current situation is, is always a challenge when we're trying to be advocates. Cause like you say, you don't know the whole picture. So how can you go there and promote one way or the other when you don't know how that relates to the overall picture? Right. Exactly. Before we move on to the vegan parent side of things, John, any other last questions about school or anything? I don't really have anything else. I mean, I'm sure you miss the kids dearly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Teaching through Zoom is just not quite the same, you know. They yeah. just It's hard. It's really hard. Somehow a high five through a computer screen is not the same, right? <laughs> not at all. So you just had your second child and it was a completely vegan pregnancy, correct? Yes, it was. I know it might be impossible to condense a nine-month adventure into a few minutes, but <laughs> could you maybe go over some of the highlights of that experience or some of the conversations that really stuck out with you as you were bringing your child to birth and while practicing a vegan lifestyle? Honestly, I 
my first pregnancy with my older son, I wasn't vegan. And so just in comparison, I don't feel like it was a whole lot different. I know that I tried harder to make sure that I got everything that I needed than I did with my first. And I probably overdid it. And that's better, but I know that I was probably lacking things with my son, uh, my first one, just because I didn't pay attention. You know, I think sometimes just being vegan does make you pay attention. Like, am I getting enough protein? Am I getting enough B12? Am I getting, you know, that type of thing? Wow. So it really made you more self-aware then. Right. Right. But in terms of like doctor's appointments and stuff, I'm not even sure that they knew that I was vegan. I don't think that they ever asked. I mean, my primary care physician does know and I get my blood work checked regularly and everything was fine. But just tracking and knowing, you know, I, I have eaten enough fruits, I've eaten enough vegetables, I've gotten my protein, and just being aware of it was really the main difference between the two pregnancies. That's so interesting because when you're not vegan, no one comes up and asks you, hey, where do you get your protein? <laughs> or your, how are your iron levels? Where is your vitamin A? No, no one does that when you're not vegan. But the second you tell someone you're vegan, all of a sudden, you need to have all these answers in your back pocket. Right. And you right. start practicing veganism, and then you start asking yourself those questions and really making it a priority in your life. And almost, it sounds like it made it an improvement, and now you're much more self-aware of your nutritional requirements. Right. And I would venture to say that I'm more aware of it because of breastfeeding than I was because of pregnancy. And that's just a personal thing. When you're pregnant, your body's kind of growing the human and it's not as connected for me. But with breastfeeding, I know that I am directly giving him his food source and that's all he gets. And so now I'm even more meticulous. I enter it into my app and make sure that I've gotten everything I need because I don't want him to be missing something. It sounds like you're not being so aware and self-conscious of your nutritional requirements because you're inherently nutritionally deficient as a result of being vegan, but more just so that there's more of a possibility because you have more of a limited diet or that you're just more deliberate in your food choices now? Yeah, I'm definitely more deliberate in my food choices. That's the right answer. <laughs> and Oliver is, you mentioned three and a half now? Yeah. Yeah. So he's had probably some chances to interact with other kids or be out there in the world a little bit. How is it raising a son vegan? It's definitely something that we have to think about ahead of time. We have to prepare. So when he was going to his preschool, we would get their menu for the week and we would pack his breakfast and lunch. And we always tried to match it. So if they were having, I don't know, chicken tenders and corn, we would buy him the garden tenders. Mm. And he would, you know, he just calls them tenders. We don't ever add the meat part right. or the animal name part to it, obviously. Mm. But we, we try to make sure that we match it. Or if he's going to a birthday party, we always send a cupcake so that he can participate. But I will be honest, there's a few times where we just didn't anticipate and he's had some disappointment and we have to kind of talk about it and we debrief and we always offer whatever it was that he wanted at a later time. Mm -hmm. So it was a few weeks ago, my family was having a cookout and they roasted marshmallows. And so we had brought our cookout food that we were going to have, but we didn't bring marshmallows. Oh, no. We just 
we we didn't plan for that you know that just it, it wasn't in our brain but we had marshmallows at home and so we were able to talk about you know we do have marshmallows that we can have and that didn't hurt any animals and we're going to go home and be able to have that and he's starting to get it he really is he's starting to understand that i do want to have the vegan food as opposed to the non-vegan food nice so so what is his favorite thing to eat Favorite thing to eat? Uh, definitely pancakes. <laughs> mm, I'm, I'm with him on that. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, anytime we have tempeh, for some reason, mm. he just does not care for tempeh. He okay. loves tofu. Tofu is one of his favorites, but we had tempeh for dinner last night, and so my wife actually made him pancakes, and I love you so much, Mommy. Thank you so much for making me pancakes. <laughs> Probably mostly so he didn't have to eat the tempeh, but (laughs) (laughs) vegan pancakes shockingly easy to make. Yes, not nearly as complicated as it sounds. No, and we we always throw in some flax, make sure he gets some fat in there. (laughs) With kids, I don't know how much media you expose them to, but a lot of the kids shows and books are very anti-vegan messages in terms of how they portray farmed animals and nutrition and things like that in general. How do you manage that aspect of childbearing? Rearing, child rearing. Um, he honestly doesn't get a whole lot of screen time. We really try to limit that in general. And the time that he does get, he's very, he really has his things that he likes. And they don't have a whole lot of mixed messages. I mean, there's things that he sees, but we even, he just tells us that things are different. Like his, toys for his toy kitchen like the the pretend suit you know there's eggs in that and we were going to throw them away and then we were like okay no there's a lesson here and if he does use them as food if you ask him what it is he'll tell you it's bean egg because that's what we call just egg and he likes just egg so he'll he'll tell you it's bean egg or (laughs) if he brings you something if it's a hot dog he'll tell you it's a veggie dog or (laughs) You know, it's a piece of tofu. It's never what it was marketed to be. And so I think just because he's not exposed to it, even if you see it on TV or in the media, that's not, he doesn't think that way. That's not where his brain goes because that's not what he knows. Using the Carnist propaganda machine against itself. I like it. (laughs) I like it too. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Well, those are all the main questions I have. John, do you have anything else? I don't have anything else, honestly. I I mean, you pretty much answered everything I had, and you're awesome. So, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been our pleasure. Any final words for the good of the order? I don't think so. (laughs) Stay safe. Wear a mask. Just do it. Yes. (laughs) I have an awesome mask with a cow on it, and it's so cool. Makes me very happy. Oh, there you go. And if anyone out there has any questions for us or Chelsea, just send us an email at bekindpodcast at gmail.com and make sure you subscribe to us on Google, Apple, or Spotify, or all three. Thanks, everyone. Have a fantastic day.